I'm not good at whistling. All right, ready? Yeah. Oh, you're good. You could do whole songs. Oh, I can do a song on a whistle, yeah. Jealous. Nice. Beautiful. <laughs> Wait. Okay. I watched a video recently. Now I forget who it was, but somebody was singing the national anthem. <laughs> yeah. I have to send it to you. <laughs> you should send it. Let's just was, open the show with it. <laughs> but it was, they got the lyrics so wrong. And like, so like, <laughs> like the ramparts part, you know, like, or yeah. the ram- but it was like in the wrong part of the song. It just, and it was like, they couldn't get out of this ramparts loop. They got in a doom loop. They got in a, a rampart doom, loop. A rampart loop. Hello and welcome to Talking Too Loud with Chris Savage. I am your host, Chris Savage. Hi. And today we have Sylvie Lubau, our producer. Always. always. I'm always here. You're always here. Always Can't watching. Radio. Always nope. watching. <laughs> Sylvie, we got a great one today. We have, we have Neil Patel. One. Neil Patel, who is the co-founder of Crazy Egg, Hello Bar, Kiss Metrics, and NP Digital. He helps companies like Amazon, NBC, GM, HP, Viacom grow their revenue The Wall Street Journal calls him a top influencer on the web, and Entrepreneur Magazine says he has created one of the 100 most brilliant companies in the world. He's prestigious. Very prestigious guy. And uh, I absolutely love that you called him out on (laughs) our attempt to record a person. We'll save that for the interview. Um, But yeah, it it was fun to chat with him and good to see him. And we have that coming up very soon. But first, you know, the show's called Talking Too Loud. We can't start it without hearing what's got us talking too loud. So... What's got you talking too loud, Sylvie? Oh man, so many things to choose from. I'm, I'm just briefly. I am talking too loud about Israel and Palestine. Yeah, and it's awful, and I don't want to get into it because it's heavy and complicated. But just had to sort of like say it, you know, yeah. like heavy I'm so hearts. Sorry. And it's yeah, it's it's devastating to see it i mean i think that's what feels like so the coverage of it i mean yeah the the coverage the stuff on social media it's uh you know it's like in-person accounts on every side it's horrific yes um but on a much lighter note i'm also talking too loud about weddings specifically here is my here's my hottest tip for all you wedding attendees out there were you just at a wedding? Or I was you just, just thinking at about a wedding. I was okay. just at a wedding. All right. Great. Okay, good. I thought <laughs> maybe you were just like, I'm just randomly. thinking at a wedding. I'm like, do you have something to tell me, Sylvie? <laughs> no. I just went to my sister's best friend's wedding over the weekend, which was lovely. But I find that every time I go to a wedding, there will always be a location for stationary appetizers, right? You'll have your cheeses. You'll have your olives, your meats. Yeah. Sure. Then there is always an area that kind of bottlenecks around past hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> and so if you're hanging out- You mean out, when they, where they come out of the kitchen? They come out of the kitchen. Yeah. yeah. And you can't be like right there. Like you have to have some class. Yeah. <laughs> but you want to be in their general vicinity mm-hmm. because everybody knows that the past hors d'oeuvres are where it's at, at a wedding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I felt- the need to share that tip with all of you listeners and viewers. So you, what you want to do is 
try to catch an eye. Where are these pass servers coming from? First clock, where, where, where are those servers coming? Like where where's the kitchen? Where are those servers coming from? Yeah, clock it. And Don't then stand subtly, in their way. Yeah, stand subtly, sort of like on the wing. You want to be on the wing a little bit? You want to direct a conversation towards the wing near it. I understand this yes. deeply, especially yes. when it's like, you know, the wedding is maybe four, you, right when you normally have a snack and there's no snack and you're hungry. Right, you're, you're hungry. Outside, and you're ready to go, and then the auditors start coming, you know they're going to be small. You don't just want one. You're going to need like six of these things. And let me tell you, these hors d'oeuvres were top-notch. We're talking Incredible. short rib on toast. Mm. We're talking potato latke with locks on top. Don't even. Don't crab even. Crab cakes. Come on. <laughs> it was... I'm honestly hungry right now. <laughs> this sounds incredible. Sounds so good. <laughs> so that's what I'm talking too loud about. What are you talking too loud about? So for me, I'm about to turn 40. I'm turning 40 this Friday. Oh my goodness. Um, I'm very Happy excited. Happy birthday. Thank you. I'm very excited to turn 40. But in celebration of my 40th birthday. What do you got cooked up? This last weekend, actually, already did it. Um, we did a weekend of competitions. <laughs> and it's, so a bunch of my so friends and family. You. Yeah, it's so yeah, classic A bunch of my friends and family got together. We did about 20 competitions. There was who can decorate a cake most in my honor. Ooh. And there was a brunch potluck, sweet Ooh. and savory points awarded for both. Nice. There was um, best mile time. Nice. There was longest dead hang. So you just like hang from a bar. Um, there was a survivor style obstacle course. There was hula hooping. There was Chris theme trivia. It was chaos. Did you place? Did you participate and place in any of I, these competitions? I did. I participated in like 17 of the wow. 20. Okay. Um, and I'm very proud. We, my, my buddy Andrew came up with a scoring system and it was like, you're trying to get the lowest average score based on your ranks. If you're one, you get one point. If you're two, you get two, blah, blah, blah. But it's weighted really just to benefit the top five. And then you get a participation. So there's all this <laughs> stuff. But it was so fun. It was like this like electric vibe the whole time. And the kids were involved. We had challenges with the kids, wall sits. It was just... Oh, my God. That's so fun. Yeah. It was so fun. And the most fun part was like, we're doing the dead hang. Everyone's... We have like a little structure that has like swings on it and, you know, climbing stuff for the kids. And so you have all these adults hanging off this thing. Yeah. And watching people, we're timing them, you know, watching those hands and their hand starts to move and everyone's like, oh, no, oh, are they going to be, oh, it's just like the excitement and the stress over this, like the little moments who was bringing me so much joy is like, this is the simplest thing you could possibly do. Um, and yet, like, it was like entertaining for all of us and people took it real seriously. Hell yeah. Um, as they should. Yes. Very proud of my ranking this because... It would be weird to win it. I didn't want to win it. Someone, that would be weird. That would look rigged. It would look rigged. And my friend who did all the scoring, Andrew, also you know, created a trophy in my honor with like a 3D printed version of my face in it, which was horrifying. <laughs> so I couldn't have that in my home. No. Um, but I came in second. And so I was, oh. you know. Yeah. So that felt good. And That's I think really it was like, good. You know, I had the motivation to be in enough competitions. Yeah. That mattered. And um uh, my other friend who won when he won his his uh, eight year old was so proud of him she burst into tears. Oh. So. <laughs> oh my god, that's so cute! It was great. That's amazing. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, um, but talking about how should you compete mm. in the landscape for Google? 
Uh, how do you get the, the right traffic to your site? How should you differentiate and grow? I'm, is this transition working? I'm not sure. I think well, it does. Okay. Well, well good, yeah. Talking about all of that, we have the perfect guest, Neil Patel is here with us today. So we'll jump into that interview with Neil right after the break. Hi, I'm Frank, the ad guy. Frank, the ad guy. And it's that time again. Q4, the final countdown. A chance to toast your successes from last year and prep for the new one. Aside from the bubbly, or sparkling non-alcoholic cider, the only other thing you'll need this holiday season is the new HubSpot Sales Hub. With an easy-to-use interface and a stacked deal management suite, Sales Hub supercharges your sales process so you can find, track, and close deals all in one platform. So this Q4, stop sticking to the same old sales strategies and start closing more deals with HubSpot Sales Hub. Make the switch at HubSpot.com sales. Looking to harness the power of video for your business? Whether you're hosting webinars, onboarding new customers, or creating a spiffy landing page, video is key to making an impact. And that's where Wistia comes in. With our complete video marketing platform, we help you create, host, and share videos that not only get views, they also get results. And the cherry on top? Wistia's in-depth analytics and handy email forms. They're the perfect tools for lead generation and understanding your audience. So if you're ready to level up your capital V video marketing strategy, head on over to wistia.com slash TTL. That's W-I-S-T-I-A dot com slash TTL. And don't forget to follow at Wistia on social media for more tips, tricks, and video treats. And now back to the podcast. Neil, what's going on, man? It's so good to see you. Not much. Good to see you again as well. Thank you for coming on the show. We tried to do this in person at the Inbound Conference and didn't get it to happen, but we did Somebody have... Somebody got blocked. Somebody so, got yeah. blocked on Gmail. Just get a Sylvie may have been blocked. Yeah. I mean, look, I actually <laughs> think this is fault. great. Yeah. No, but I think it's great. It's great. It's clear. We were talking about getting a recording done. Neil values his time, his systems, and you know he blocks people he doesn't know. And so therefore, here we are now getting a Unblocked. full interview with you, which is what we actually wanted. So that, thank that you. Is. Thank you for blocking Sylvie. <laughs> <laughs> so um, as you know, the show is called Talking Too Loud because when I get excited about something, I cannot control the volume of my voice. Um, and we love to start the show by asking our guests, like, what has them excited? So what's got you talking too loud these days? Uh, for me, the, the one thing that I've been focusing a lot of my time and energy and talking about is the economy. It being so bad, everyone's talking about how this is not the right time to sell your business. Multiples are down. People aren't funding. Interest rates are too high. But funny enough, this is probably one of the best times to buy a business. So we're spending a lot of our efforts on M&A. And what can we buy and gobble up? Because A, things are cheaper. And B, a lot of founders are just worn out. And they're just like, I'm done. It's time for me to move on. Okay. I want to go deeper here. But before we do that, can you set the landscape for someone who doesn't know? Can we do the 60-second version of how you are Neil Patel today and why <laughs> you are, you have a massive agency, you're buying companies left and right, but like, where did you start and how'd you get here? Yeah, sure. So I'm 38 now. 
And to give context, I started when I was around 15. 15 there and a go. half. That's Let's round down to 15. Nice. It, it keeps the math simpler. So I was 20, 10. Yeah. <laughs> Let's round to 10. <laughs> so I started off trying to find a high-paying job online on sites like Monster.com and Career Builder, which no one really uses now any days. They go to LinkedIn or somewhere like that. Created my own job board because I couldn't find a job. So I'm like, let me just create one of these job websites because some of them were making over $100 million a year. Yeah. And their numbers were public, right? Because some of them were publicly traded at that time, at least like monster.com. So I created a job board, paid some people, devs on web hosting talk, which was a form. I don't know if it's still around. Paid a marketing firm with the money I saved up. Marketing firm provided little to no results, took my money. I was broke, frustrated, had to learn marketing, got good at it. My site started ranking on Google, started getting tons of traffic, still made no money. And I was decently book smart. You know, I didn't go to Harvard or anything like that, but I did uh, well in high school. So I started taking nighttime college classes when I was 16. So wow. my high school, we had something called AP classes, which I was doing. We had international baccalaureate classes, which I was also doing. And then I was also doing nighttime college classes. So my goal is to finish college in two years. So I was just trying to rack up the credits. So my first class was Speech 101. Protected took it at a community the- college. <laughs> gave a speech on how Google's algorithm works. Someone's like, I work at a company that's looking for someone like you. They paid me a you know, few thousand dollars to come in for a few hours of consulting. They then gave me a contract for five grand a month, you know, on an annual basis. So 60 grand a year, drove them over $20 million in revenue through leads. Wow. And the owner of that company has sent owned an ad agency and he introduced me to Blue Cross Countrywide, which is now owned by Bank of America and ING Direct. Really quickly, I started making 20 grand a month. My career started from there, got into software, other things, got into some venture uh, <laughs> or raise money. In my earlier, younger periods of being entrepreneur, a lot of failures, a lot of mistakes, lack of focus, a lot of ups and downs, made money, lost it all before I was 21, paid all everything. Uh, I borrowed a, a lot of money too, paid it all back by the time I was 21, 22, uh, and was back in the green. And, you know, long story short, I'm here now running an ad agency called NP Digital. We are roughly six years old now. By the end of this year, we'll be six years old. And we've been having a blast doing it. We're getting closer to a thousand employees. We're in 16 or 19 countries, something like that. And we're still growing in a bad economy, mainly through mergers and acquisitions. Okay. That was amazing. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for so getting good. Through. It was so, so there's good. so much in there. I feel like we could just spend the rest of the episode only talking about parts of this. And we might just do that. Let's just see where we go. So I, I want to fast forward to today. You're talking about the economy is bad. It's a good time to buy. Tell us about like what that looks like. Because you know, as an entrepreneur myself, obviously, like it is stressful. I, I have been doing this a long time, but this is one of the more stressful periods. But I also look for the things that bring me joy and motivation and the parts of our business that is growing really well and put my energy into that. And I've, I feel like I've seen bad times before. We've had bad moments. And so the resilience is kind of there. But what are you seeing in people that that's like, hey, they are ready to go? And talk us through what those deals look like. Sure. If you find a business that's two, three, four, five years old, you're not going to find a ton there. The, the, the business isn't steady or stable is probably a better word. Uh, they haven't been through enough ups and downs. They're not old enough. 
you could potentially make a lot of money, but you could also have a big zero on your plate. Yeah. But on the flip side, you find a company that's like 12, 15, 20 years old. They've been around enough where it's usually not relying on one person. They've built up management teams and all that kind of stuff. Um, they grow through word of mouth, RFPs, referrals, things like that. It's not necessarily relying on one channel like SEO or anything. And a lot of those founders didn't sell when the market was hot. Their businesses are down a little bit, but they're still stable and they're just tired. And those are the ones that tend to produce the best results when you buy them and because they provide a lot of stability. And the reason being is they're just old with age comes stability. So if you buy a lot of those, you know, and you integrate them in in a good economy, you can end up winning and making a lot of money. But that's a big thing that people forget in which if you've been around for 20 years and you went from, um, let's just keep the math simple. Let's say you go from making a million dollars a year consistently, the economy just turns and now you're starting to make 400 grand, 300 grand in annual profit. And, and I'm just keeping the numbers simple. You're just like, man, this sucks. Yeah. Yeah. And no, that makes there sense. There's a lot more stability in reoccurring software businesses like Awistia, right? But in a lot of service-based businesses in marketing, marketing is one of the first things to get cut in a bad economy. It's yeah. also one of the first things to be brought back in a good economy, Ooh. right? So if I'm buying during a low period, and knowing that things will eventually come back because, you know, ec economies come in waves, a good, a good economies, bad economies, et cetera, eventually we'll get out of this. You know, the upside could be huge. I also will have to probably take some licks and have some downside uh, issues in which some of these businesses go a little bit backwards before they go upwards. And can you take us in? So you're finding these companies, you're finding, I assume, like other agencies and things yeah. that you can add on to the core business. Are you buying these companies with debt? Are you are you buying them with cash? How does it how does a deal like that work? Like from and I'm I'm interested in both yeah. sides. Is the buyer I'm interested, but also like, you know, you're right, some of these people are really tired. And this is the moment that they're saying, I'm done. And so how does it work? So from a buyer perspective, they just getting cash. Cash is cash. Yeah. Right, cash in their bank account, and typically a earnout. If the business performs really well in two years and can climb back up, hey, you'll get paid on that as well. And that way, you have a transition period because yes, a lot of founders will leave, but you need that knowledge transfer, and it's not going to happen in six months or twelve months. You just need a few years uh, to be on the safe side, and you're able to transfer relationships as well within that time period. On our end, when we're buying them, we're typically just using cash. And we'll also add on bank debt. So we're using a combination of both, right? So let's keep it simple. If a company is doing $2.5 million in profit and they want four times cash up front, not including the earnout, just up front, that's $10 million. So $10 million, we may end up putting down around $8 million in cash and we may add around $2 million in bank debt. Now, banks will be more favorable if we can get much more bank debt, we choose not to. Um, and in many cases, we just would do take the 10 and just put all 10 cash. We try not to have a lot of debt. And the main reason being is in this economy, interest rates are higher. Yeah, right. It's more expensive. Yeah, it's more expensive. So yeah, we're, we're getting deals. I'm not a personal guarantor, but I'd rather just use the cash.
and and the deals we've been doing, we've been using at the current moment, a hundred percent cash. You know, the debt example I gave eventually we'll start using more debt and we have the ability to scale up our debt quite nicely. But for now, just because the rates are so high and, and we're paying somewhere between eight and 9% uh, interest and our payments are interest only, but we've just been using cash and just makes it easier. Got it. Okay. Now you have about a thousand people at NP Digital. Less, you also, less. less. Well, we're getting close to a thousand because of some of the M&A we've been doing and then- Got it. Okay. So less than a thousand, but close to, close to that. You have other businesses that you've started that are still running like Crazy Egg. What is your day actually like? Like, how do you manage all this? Sure. So today I will pull up my calendar just for you to see. So I had a webinar at 8 a.m. Okay. Okay. Which may be hard to see. I have this podcast, 12 to 1 PS or 12 to 1245 PST. I have another call at one, but I did that call after my first webinar because I had a ton of extra time. And that's it for the day. I spend a lot of time talking with the team and strategizing about M&A. That's where I spend the majority of my time. I talk to them about current clients, who's happy, who's not, if I should talk to anyone, get on the phone. But my schedule is actually pretty chill. Now, I still spend somehow 60 plus hours a week working, but I don't have to actually work 60 hours. But when my schedule gets hectic, it's actually when I travel. So like I head out to India on Sunday. The moment I land, you're talking about back-to-back meetings. When I say back-to-back, no joke, not a break. During lunch, I have a meeting with someone and you're still talking about business. It keeps it all in the same building so I don't have to move and deal with traffic. No joke for at least 12 hours. So I'll have back-to-backs for 12 hours a day for at least two to three days. And then I'll leave and go back home. Okay. Uh, the reason I asked that question is, I mean, I, you and I talked about this when we were at dinner. We talked about our schedules and this interesting thing of like, as you get your business bigger, trying to have a more open schedule. And when I think about those people who are tired, like they're not in that situation, I don't think. So I, I think it's just no. an interesting thing to talk about is not like how you hack your schedule or something, but like how you get into a position where you get the leverage oh, that oh, you can have such open Yeah. So can you talk like, I mean, cause I think I've talked about that on the podcast before, um, but I'd kind of love to hear how you think about that, like how you get real leverage so that you can actually have the time so that it isn't as taxing so that you can take on these more things at once. So no matter who you're talking to, no one is the best at everything. We're not a jack of all trades, right? We're not great at sending rockets into space, building electric cars running a social network, unless you're Elon Musk. I'll give you the caveat there. He's probably one of the few people that can do a lot and I wouldn't bet against him. But even Elon, he's not perfect. And he'll admit that. He doesn't send rockets into space with no issues. A lot of them crash and have issues, but he continually goes forward and learns from his mistakes. I just focus on one thing. I'm not doing anything revolutionary like Elon. Running an ad agency is not rocket science. There's executives (laughs) who have run ad agencies or divisions within ad agencies that are publicly traded that are much better at managing a P&L than I am. There's a lot of people who have just done sales for ad agencies that are better I am. There's people who have done client services at ad agencies, again, that are better than I am. So what we do is we just hire people who are better than us. That's a cost fast growth. But over time, the unexpected result of it was you're actually working your way out of a job. So you spend a lot more time on strategy. And then I pick and choose my hours. 
So like this week, my calendar is really lax for a reason because I know next week is hectic and I won't see my kids. So I'm trying to spend a lot of time with them here because if I have 12 hour meetings back to back for three days straight, plus I'm going to have to work at least a few hours before the meetings and at least an hour at nighttime. So I'm probably pulling 15 plus hour days for three days in a row, right? That's just those three days out of the week. So I'll have a much larger than a 60 hour work week next week. And my kids won't really see me. So I'll pick and choose how hard I work during certain times because this week was a lucky week in which I wasn't traveling at all. So like yesterday, I took my daughter to the mall and it was just daddy daughter day. Took her to the mall. She What'd bossed. you hit at the mall? What'd you hit at the mall? We got to know. So I took her first to a, a, a restaurant called Sweet Greens. Not even a restaurant, just a salad. Yeah. So rice and chicken. I don't know if you guys have that in the East Coast. Mm-hmm. We, we have Sweet Green. Then she wanted to go to Sephora. So I let her pick four makeups because she's four years old. So I said, you can only pick four things. <laughs> then she wanted to go to a toy store next to the ice cream shop. She didn't find the toy she was looking for, but she picked three for her brother. Two from dad, one from her. So I was like, okay. And uh, she wanted to go to a different toy store. And I, I don't spend enough quality time with my kids because I travel. So when I do, I try to make it count. Usually I don't really do the shopping stuff, but this is one of the first times I did. She hasn't been to a mall before. Uh, at least, you know, when she was really like a baby, she did. But uh, she was born during right before COVID. So she didn't get to experience malls too frequently. And she went to this store called American Doll, and she bought a doll. Who knew how much a doll could cost? Yeah, those I never are, knew. Those are yeah. elite, elite dolls. Yeah, and there wasn't tons of options in the mall. And I was like, yeah, let's get a doll, like 10 bucks, 20 bucks. <laughs> no, nah. a doll cost like $100. I was like, yeah. wow. Yeah, and that's a top, top-tier doll. Top-tier doll. Yeah. And then I got her ice cream because I told her to get her ice cream. And we went home. And I played with the doll with her, helped her like change clothes or whatever she was doing with the doll. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, we did some puzzles together. And then I also read both my kids quite a bit of the books that we picked from the library. And I like teaching about random stuff. Like one of the toys we got was an astronaut toy. So then they'll be like, oh, let's travel to Mars. We're like, well, let's look up Mars. What's the atmosphere made out of? What would life be like on Mars? We watch some video clips of it. She's like, oh, let's travel to Jupiter. And then we do the same there. But I try to make it educational at the same time. And that was good programming. Yeah, that was a Monday in in your world. Yeah, like running your businesses. (laughs) Yeah. And then funny enough, after they ate dinner, I called a few of the execs. I said, how's the M&A going? They gave me an overview of the pipe. I'll call them again on Friday because I chatted them on Monday. Talked to the CEO. Uh, my co-founder called me when he was talking to him. I didn't pick up. My co-founder then called the CEO. He merged us both in. He's like, hey, I got a potential deal. We talked about that. And we were shooting the shit for like five minutes. And we're like, all right, you guys enjoy the night. But again, once you get to a certain size and scale, believe it or not, it is really hard to make a huge impact with one phone call or one change. It takes a long time and a lot of effort, no matter how nimble you think you are, because there's just so many people. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Why is it so hard when there's more people? It becomes bureaucratic. Even if you're at the top, like what I mean by that is 
oh, we have a lot of big corporations. We have to have these security and safety protocols in place. So you can't do a lot of these things unless you meet these. Oh, and we have insurance to protect us in case something happens with certain security things. So it's like you start thinking about things like that. It's like, okay, there's a lot of moving parts and I just can't go and make a change because I can't break things, right? And uh, it happens or like, even when we're expanding, I'm like, oh, I, I want to buy this company. I, I found one in uh, Southeast Asia. I was talking to my team about technically one of our uh, team members or managing directors found it. And I started recently, I'm like, yeah, I want to buy it. So I brought it to some of the other team members and I'm like, let's go, let's go. And they're like, all right, we're in a different time zone. They got pitches. We have pitches. You know, we just did a pitch with LVMH, I think yesterday in Southeast Asia. And then our team was just like, cool. The first call we can have with them is October 15th. That's when the schedules align. I was like, all right. I'm like, I'm ready to talk on the phone right now. I'm like, I'll, I'll stay up in the middle of the night. Just, you know, as you grow, you got to figure out priorities and you never have enough staff. You never have enough resources. You never have enough money. It's the same old problems. Do you think, do you guys think there's any value to like pumping the brakes? Not being able to move as fast as like, yeah, I'll stay up all night on, on this call. Um, I'm impatient, so I want to move super fast. But a lot of times trying to move fast on some of these things doesn't make that much of a difference at all. And you have to pick and choose your battles. So we try to move fast on the stuff that directly impacts revenue or results for clients. And we move slow on a lot of other stuff because it doesn't matter as much for the business. It's also, I think, in my experience, like it's when things are really running, you know, the timeline that you're thinking about shifts from like the immediate to farther out. And so that's really helpful because if issues come up, like how hard should we push to get this launch out or how much should we push on this partnership or what, when should we be willing to be patient? You want someone thinking about those things. So it's helpful to do that. But then you're like living in the future and you know, everyone else, like or everyone's kind of living in a different time period, I would say the more senior, hopefully the farther out the more junior, hopefully the more in the moment. Um, but you have these challenges where it's like, I feel like I know what's coming next. If we can just do it right now, it's gonna have a huge impact. But if I go push everybody to do it, we're going to stop everything else we're doing. And so it's very, it's like, wow, I have to be really patient at certain times of like, all right, let me interject this idea. I think it's critical we do it now but if we do it now it's really going to break a lot of other stuff so we need to wait it needs to be part of the process but every once in a while it shouldn't be and you should break the rules and i think it's like uh it's an interesting i I mean i saw someone i can't remember who said this like you know part of our jobs when you're running a business is you make decisions and you really see the results of them sometimes like three four years later yeah it's weird right it it really is but you nailed it in which I look at things as like a five plus year time horizon. So I try to use five year increments. And the reason being is we're still young. So I don't want to use like a 20 year outlook. I want to like, all right, what do we need to plan for the next five years? And the reason I say that is once you're at scale, it is hard to just make one change and add another 10, $20 million in revenue or extra five, 10, $20 million in profit. Because once you're at scale, adding another million dollars in revenue doesn't really move the needle. So there's not like a lot of quick things that you can do and just say, oh, I can spend a month doing this and we're going to grow 20, 30%. Well, 20, 30% at scale is a lot. You're adding a ton of revenue and it's not that easy. So you start thinking in longer term increments, like what do we need to really do to ride the waves of certain trends or market conditions? And the big one right now is, look, timing is bad. 
but it is the best time to be a buyer, not a seller. And if you have debt or cash, this is the time to put it at work. I think um, it's hard to really have everyone, I think, like understand that until you're in it, right? Because you, it's so easy to make the spreadsheet that just like, you're like, oh, I'm growing 30%. I expect it to always be 30%. And then there's a few years when it compounds and it's like 100 to 130, 130, you know, to, to 175. You like do the math and you're like, hmm, that seems like that's doable. And then you're in the moment, you're like, oh, that's, this is harder than I thought it was to exactly your point. Like scale actually matters. It is. And like, even with us, I'm trying to spend $30 million in M&A in the next 12 months, right? Like that's a number I'm trying to deploy. And then the 12 months after, I'm trying to spend at least another 30. Hopefully I can get to like 40 or 50, but we've just been ramping up our M&A efforts. So I'm at least trying to spend for this business, you know, can I spend at least 30? I have to give a team a target of money to deploy. Again, if they can spend more than that and, you know, in 12 months, I'd be happy, but they also have to build out systems and procedures because we haven't done a ton of M&A in this business. So you don't want to also lose a ton of money at the same time. But when I look at it, I'm like, okay, if I can deploy 30, I should make at least 60 million in profit from deploying that 30, right? And it really does compound. And if the next year I can deploy 50, I should make at least 100 million in profit. Well, between both years, you just, you know, Huge. made out yeah. of thin air $160 million. Now that's, of course, if most things go to plan, not everything has to. And it's actually not even if most things go to plan, that's if we just maintain the status quo when we buy, which we think we can do better. But it's still hard to deploy the money and find good deals. Okay. I want to go, I want to go into the agency. I want to go into your clients and their challenges today, because we're talking about this opportunity on the buying business side, but let's talk about the marketing side. Yeah. There's been so much shakeup in the space. There's continues to be a shakeup. What do you think people need to be paying attention to? And what, what old habits or things they're doing in the past should they stop doing? Sure. So I, th I think the big one they need to pay attention to, and this is a new habit, not an old habit, because I think this is a bigger issue, is they need to pay attention to AI. And the bad habit is they're becoming too reliant on AI. Not that AI is the enemy and it's going to take over everything. I'm not saying anything like that. But if you look at the accuracy of what AI is producing in marketing, it's producing a lot of false information and low quality work. I'm not saying AI won't get better in six months or a year or two years. I'm saying right now, the quality is very average and mediocre, but it's improving. So for example, TechCrunch just wrote an article today. Adobe Firefly can now produce more realistic images, which is great because what we find in marketing is when you use realistic images versus these cartoony stuff, it tends to convert better. And what people are saying is, yes, you can use AI for a lot of stuff. If you combine it with a human, even better. But what a lot of companies are doing in their marketing is saying, hey, chat GPT, Bar, just write me this article. Oh, I'm just going to post it. Well, A, it's not optimized for search. Two, it's regurgitated information. Three, a lot of it's inaccurate and false. So just putting a lot of stuff out there as is without having humans intervene and work with the AI, you're actually going to find a struggle to grow your traffic. And we're seeing too many companies creating this new bad habit, which is yeah. like AL is the end all be all. And I'm not saying it isn't, but it doesn't mean it's in the right form right now where you don't need human intervention. And they're creating really bad habits. And we're actually seeing some companies 
relying too heavily on AI, so much so that their traffic's been dropping because if you put out a lot of mediocre stuff, you actually will burn your brand, burn your traffic because search engines will be like, oh, 30% of your content is just junk. People don't want to read it. Well, we shouldn't rank your site at all, even for the good stuff. And we're starting to see a lot of that. So what should the play be for somebody who doesn't want to use AI poorly? Like what, what should you do right now to really like take advantage of the fact that so many people are making so much crappy AI content? First off, I would actually try to leverage less AI and do stuff more manual because you'll have way less regurgitated information. But two, when you're using AI, let's say if it's to chop up videos or dub your content for different uh, countries and languages. You just want to have humans double check the work. And that's the part that a lot of companies are forgetting. Have a human just double check the work and modify it and make it better, make it unique. Because remember, ChatGPT is indexed from September 2021. ChatGPT 4 is still going to be from September 2021, at least from what they release. That means all the stuff is regurgitated. People don't want to read about the same stuff they've already read about. They want new stuff. And do you think that the same, do you think that Google will continue to be the dominant force and the dominant driver of traffic? Or do you think you need to diversify from it? You think it will? I think you need to diversify from it and you should diversify from it, but I still think they'll be the dominant driver of traffic. And everyone's like, oh, AI is just going to crush the revenue. Well, the last stat I read, and I don't know how accurate it is today, but I read it less than six months ago. Uh, Google makes somewhere around 30-ish billion dollars from their partner network like AdSense, right? 30-ish billion dollars is a lot of money. Whether it's 20 or 30 or 35, yeah. it doesn't matter. Yeah. They're not going to yeah. those. Yeah, and those sites yeah. aren't buying ad traffic to make money on AdSense. They're getting that traffic for free, a lot of it from search. Google's not just going to crush that number and make it zero. I'm so not saying think- they won't do that in the future. But yeah. they had to have a replacement. So They're you're not- saying just it's as simple as Google is a big business. As we're talking about law of like large scale, it's hard for Google to grow 20, 30%, like much harder than for us. If they were to just that by itself is going to cause them to protect and not want to destroy a line of business. And therefore, they're going to find a way to use AI, but not kill search results or not kill search ads. So check this out, Google's stock. Okay, if you look at Google's market cap right now, 175 trillion, well, $1.75 trillion. Annually, all right, they're generating 280-ish billion dollars. So 30 divided by 282 is roughly 10%. They're not gonna just say, oh yeah, we're okay with our market cap going down by $175 billion not going to happen. And you know what? If they're declining that much and their growth starts going down, their stock price may get hit even more because it goes yeah. from being a growing company to being yeah. a declining company. So long as if that 175 turned into 250, 300 billion, the executives will get eaten alive by the market. That won't happen. Yeah. And therefore, whatever the solution is that they end up making, they're going to make sure that those ads are still there. Like they're not going to let it disappear. Therefore, they're going to find a solution where, and you think that also means organically people will still get traffic as well because they'll stop posting content that can be indexed if that's the case, right? Correct. Interesting. Because it's funny. I feel like there's so much doom and gloom about this particular issue. Yeah. And it's obviously that gets, that gets clicks, that gets hits. Like to have doom and gloom about this issue is like, hey, guess what? Everything you've relied on, it's disappearing. You're, you're screwed. 
then it creates all this stress and attention on whoever's saying that. But this is the simple, this, you just go back to the market and the math and like, they just won't, they won't allow it to happen. Yeah. No, look, they're not going to let it happen. I was just Googling really quickly for AdSense's total revenue. I couldn't find it. Um, but either way, it's a big number. And for them to fill a void of, let's call it $30 million or billion dollars, that's not an easy void to fill. Like you can't yeah. just snap your fingers and be like, oh, we just printed another $20, 30000000000 billion. Like not going to happen. Is your perspective, just because I don't know a ton about this, but like, would you say like you're representative of how a lot of people are thinking about this? Or do you feel like you're kind of an outlier in how you're thinking about? I'm probably more of an outlier. A lot of people are doom and gloom. Um, but Danny Sullivan from Google, he's Google search liaison, has said every year Google's driven more traffic to websites than the previous year. And, you know, doesn't mean that won't change. And some years will be negative. But overall, what people don't really like, when Google took away the weather from weather.com and you can just Google the weather, two plus two, and they just tell you it's four, you can do currency conversion. Yeah, a lot of sites lost traffic, but overall improved the experience and it caused more people to use Google and a percentage of that trickles over to websites. And it's still a massive channel. Like people worry too much about, oh my God, it's SEO is going to go away or paid ads are going to go away because, uh, you know, AI is like, you really think Google's going to make a change where all their paid ads go away. SEO is going to change. Paid ads are going to change, but they're not going to make it where the revenue just goes to zero or drastically changes without knowing that they can fill the void plus make more. We got a clip there. We got a good clip out of that one. <laughs> Some eyebrows raising. No, no, I just, I, I want to let that one like kind of live for a second because it's, it's so easy to be doom and gloom. And you're, you're definitely also not saying just keep doing what you're doing. Like you need to update, you need to evolve. Everything's changing around us. But in terms of like assumptions, you wouldn't, but you would bet on there being more Google traffic to higher quality things, probably yes. more long tail things that require, you know, human intervention to create them. Um, and then optimizing for that. What's funny is the companies we work with that are using less AI to create content and when I say content, I'm not just talking about text-based content. I'm talking about images and videos as well. We're seeing those companies perform better right now with engagement on social web, traffic from SEO than a lot of other competitors because a lot of people have started shifting a lot of budget towards AI-created content, and it's just not getting the engagement that you know they expected. Let's go to social media platforms. So I want to do something that Hard is- Hard pivot. Hard pivot. Oh, it's not that hard. It's You're right. Related. It's not that hard. It's, it's not that it's hard. It's pretty related. It was like um, a medium, medium it's pivot. It's a medium pivot, medium pivot. So I, I want your take. I want to, want to do date, marry, kill with social media platforms. So I'll give you three. Which one would you date? Which one would you marry? Which one would you kill? Are you ready? <laughs> yeah. Okay. TikTok, YouTube, Instagram. Uh, I would kill TikTok because for a lot of businesses, it won't drive as much revenue. I would... Uh, marry YouTube because YouTube from what we're seeing can drive a ton of revenue for pretty much any vertical. TikTok can drive revenue, but again, it doesn't work for all verticals. And I would date Instagram because we're seeing conversions better on Instagram for most businesses than TikTok. This is at least in today's world of 2023, right? As TikTok gets older and as they target older demographics, it may end up changing, but I'll definitely marry YouTube, date Instagram, kill TikTok. Amazing. I'm going to do it again, but this time I want to do it with Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. 
Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. Uh, kill Facebook. Engagement there just sucks unless you're going to do paid ads. And it doesn't mean paid ads are bad. It just means that it sucks because that's your only option for Facebook. <laughs> and we're talking about Facebook.com. We're not talking about their network. Uh, I would date what is called uh, X or Twitter because I think it has a lot of potential. And if you look at the audience on there, there's a lot of high net worth individuals on Twitter. And I would marry LinkedIn. And the reason I love LinkedIn is it's one of the highest converting social networks out there. It may not have the volume, but it does extremely well. Now, if you want to talk from a paid ad perspective, I wouldn't kill Facebook. If it's just purely only paid ad perspective, you would probably end up marrying Facebook, dating LinkedIn, and you would kill X. Okay. I like it. Now I'm going to add another layer to this to the matrix we just created. <laughs> you know, uh, tell me, you know, you work with so many different clients, and you've seen, and you have all these businesses yourself. And you think about this. What do you think about B two C versus B two B? Like, if you were to put the top platform for each, what would you do for like paid and organic? Sure. So if you just want to look at a time and dollar spent, because even if it's organic, you're still spending time and money by paying people. Um, the the networks that perform the best are Facebook and YouTube. You can put them in any order, but those two networks you can you can reach mass audiences at scale and drive conversions. Right? Instagram, yeah, you can reach a mass audience, and so with TikTok, but the conversion ratio from impression to conversion just isn't the same for most industries. Yeah, because now we're talking B two B or B two C, right? Facebook and YouTube work really well for both. LinkedIn. B2B and B2C, we're actually finding it to work extremely well for B2B, B2C somewhat, Instagram and TikTok extremely well for B2C. The rest of the social networks out there yeah. don't really have a big impact. Like heavy on threads? No. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> I, I thread, you know, thread reach a million users quicker than ChatGPT did. How many people still log into threads on a daily basis? And are this really is what I said. Yeah. I, I don't know. It. I feel vindicated. Neil Patel agrees with me. It's not about if Threads is better than Twitter or X. Think of it this way. You know, they say that Bing actually has better search results than uh, Google. Well, if people are satisfied with their experience on Google, they don't care if something's better. They've already made up their mind. It's like saying like, oh my God, you had the best chocolate chip cookie in the world. It's really, really good. We just created Another chocolate chip cookie, it's 5% better. Well, I don't really care. It's good enough and I'm satisfied. It's like sometimes making something a little bit better, even if it's competitor. And I'm not, I'm not saying Threads is better, but people are happy with Twitter. These platforms like Mastodon or Threads, they're just coming out because there's turmoil in the news. But if you look at majority users, they're okay with Twitter or X and yeah. they don't really have issues. Maybe this can be our last kind of like topic because I know we're running low on time or about to run out. But you're talking about switching. If you see a business that's trying to, you know, come out, they think they're better than something else. When do you think that works? Like, when do you think you can actually get someone to switch? When you do something that's new and innovative. EX TikTok. TikTok was new and innovative, right? Snap was new and innovative. But over time, you're going to have copycats and you're going to have large corporations create similar copycat type of features and integrate them in. But if you can do something really well that people haven't experienced, like short soundbite clips, kind of like what TikTok did, and it grabs their attention because humans have a shorter attention span than goldfish, 
believe it or not, you can be onto something and you can get mass adoption for it. That's when it works really well. You know, one of the things that I'm finding really interesting about this conversation is, and I didn't expect us to get into this exactly is, you know, from the very beginning, you're talking about buying companies. It's a good time to buy companies. And partially it's because the entrepreneurs are tired, like they're spent. And then here we're talking about, you know, these basic foundational kind of connections that we have to where we spend our time and what attracts us to things and what turns us off from things and like, you know, getting bored and all that kind of stuff. And so much of what we're talking about is like these innate human needs and wants and urges and how, and then basically how do you actually connect with those things? How do you put a message out there that resonates or how do you help someone buy sell, buying their business for way less than they could have sold it for two years ago, but they're free of the burden It's just really interesting. Cause like, I feel like you spend enough time in this space you get to a you know a senior enough place and it becomes all about people and it becomes all about like basic foundational emotions. Yeah. And people forget that, right? In business, you're dealing with emotions and humans and humans aren't always logical. Yeah. And there's also random circumstances. Like the economy is really bad. Some people want cash right now. And I'm not saying you can just go out there and be a vulture. You can structure deals where you give them something right now and if things recover and they get the business back to where it was, hey, you can pay them out on it, right? But if not, you don't have to pay them out anymore. And you can end up structuring a deal where it's a win-win scenario for both parties. Cool. Neil, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people best connect with you to learn more and follow your journey? Sure. NP Digital is my ad agency. NeilPatel.com is where I blog and all my social handles are probably Neil Patel. Awesome. Thanks so much, man. Good to see you. Sounds good. Same. We'll be back right after the break. Hey guys, it's me, Chris Savage, co-founder and CEO of Wistia and host of your favorite podcast, Talking Too Loud. If you listen to the show, you know I can get pretty loud about all kinds of things. Workout gear, F1 racing, Wistia's latest product updates. But another thing that has me fired up these days is that Talking Too Loud is now part of the HubSpot Podcast Network, which is the audio destination for business professionals everywhere. So what can you expect from HPN? Tons of content designed to help you learn from industry experts, explore the world of marketing, and inspire creativity. If you're as excited as we are, be sure to listen to Talking Too Loud and more shows like us on the HubSpot Podcast Network at hubspot.com slash podcast network. All right. So the thing about Neil, he's so chill and he says things so matter of the fact, and I'm glad that he like kind of showed up like that for the show. You know, when you ask about his schedule, he's not like, yeah, I don't have like a busy schedule and you, you don't know if that's true. He's like, literally like, let me, yeah, just he's show, like, you let me show you my calendar. calendar to prove it. Yeah. Or we talked about his Monday of like going to the mall with his daughter. <laughs> he's very real. He's very real and um, he tells it like it is. And I mean, he, the guy does so much stuff. It's cool. It's cool to see somebody really doing it their own way, you know, and like not being afraid to be, to be different, which I think is like important to get those types of results, but just like obviously also just makes him really happy. Yeah. I mean, he, so I know you guys have known each other over the years and like the, 
the story that we ended up opening the interview with about how basically I emailed him. Yes. <laughs> and because he didn't know me, because yeah. I didn't put Wistia in the subject line, lesson learned. Uh, I did put the name of the podcast, but I didn't put the name of the company. He blocked me, but he rolled with that too. He rolled with it. And uh, yeah, I mean, he's launched so many businesses. It's incredible. Um, really interesting to hear his perspective on uh, the future of Google. And, and I do feel like it's different than than what we've been hearing. And um, I don't know a ton about this stuff, but what he said, like, yeah, of course they're not going to go to zero. I thought that was really interesting too, because it's so easy to say chat GPT will disrupt all of Google, right? And and I think the media likes that message. The media likes a message of disruption. And I think social media does too. And like the message is just like, no, they're going to do whatever they can to protect that. And the way they're going to do it is try to figure out how to make it more valuable so you spend more time there. There's more eyeballs. There's more ads. And ultimately, that has to be built in some way off the content that people are bringing to them is, is interesting. And obviously, anyone can be disrupted. And think markets can you just because you want to protect revenue doesn't mean you can. But the fact that in their case, they have historically, and that that should be your default yeah. thinking is very interesting, because a lot of this stuff is like we've talked before, it's not hard to predict the future. It's really hard to predict when, you know, yeah. and on a lot of things like you can see the kernels of something and be like, wow, will someday all every car be self-driving? Yeah, seems like it, probably. But then like, when? When will that actually happen is like, yeah, it could or, be five years. It could be, it could still be 30 years away or it could never happen. But like, yeah. it's, it's this like, how quickly things actually change is so hard to predict. Totally. And I think the other takeaway was a lot of people like to predict futures as all or nothing, right? Like mm -hmm. it's either chat GPT, like is everything and Google is nothing. But I feel like Neil was like, it's more an and situation. It's like, yeah, chat GPT is going to get better. And Google is going to try to protect, you know, itself and come up with solutions. So like, yeah, this all or nothing kind of mentality is like false and, and ringing more false to me, especially after that interview. So yeah, it's cool. Yeah. And I think it's just like, you know, we, we hit on this at the end, but the connection to what Google's going to do to protect themselves, that the higher quality content matters, you need humans to do it. So it can't just be all AI, like there's places where you can use it. But if you overuse it, it's not going to work. And of course, you can hear people say that advice, but the reality is like, well, I could literally have a thousand blog posts written today. So should just should I? And then, you know, it's it's I can see that temptation, especially if you think people aren't paying close attention to what you're doing, like why people would do it that way. Yeah. But then also just like, of course that makes tons of sense if you start posting a thousand blog posts a day and they all suck, suddenly Google's gonna really know that the stuff you have is is truly regurgitated and will never send you any traffic. Right. Right. I mean, that's a, it's the same all or nothing thing there, too. It's like, just because you have the ability to have AI write, you know, 100 blog posts, does that mean that you should do that and then not have humans copy edit them at all? No, yeah. like, there's some combination of things that's going to be the secret sauce. Yep. Secret yep, sauce. Yep. Yes, the secret sauce. 
Well, that was a good one. That was a fun one. And we have more episodes coming out every other week, although that might change soon. It's, yeah, I think we, I, I forget what we told listeners and viewers, but we'll, we'll definitely have some weekly content coming out. Uh, mini episodes that we recorded at Inbound, uh, interspersed with some of these full-length episodes that we love so much. Awesome. So if you want to make sure you don't miss those, make sure you subscribe to Talking Too Loud on whatever platform you like. Download. Hit that download button. Hit the download button. Smash that like button. Spotify. Smash it. Review it. uh, Click it and reboot it. Okay. (laughs) And um, you can find us. This is DJ Savage. You can find us on LinkedIn. You can find us on Kind of X. And we'll be around. See you soon, everybody. Talking Too Loud is brought to you by Wistia, hosted by Chris Savage, produced by me, Sylvie Lubau, along with Adam Day, executive produced by Wistia Studios. This episode was mixed by Maria Passingham. Listen to Talking Too Loud wherever you listen to podcasts. And hey, rate and review us wherever you listen. And check out more content from Wistia Studios at wistia.com.